0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. So welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I have the privilege today of speaking to a distinguished scholar and my own son, one and the same person. Christian Timothy George. Welcome, Christian, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> now, Christian, you are we're, we're recording this before a live audience. We haven't mic'd in all those laughters. They're really true. They're happening here in, in reality. And you're here uh, on the campus of Sanford University at Beeson Divinity School at a luncheon event following the first of three lectures that you are giving on Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You know, anyone who's been to our beautiful chapel, Hodges Chapel, will know that we have a dome with 16 figures from the Christian tradition painted on that dome. We call those our Sweet 16. Well, one of those is Charles Spurgeon. And I don't think we've ever had a lectureship focused just on Spurgeon. This is the first, and you're the one to give it. So maybe you could tell our uh, podcast audience, how you got interested in Spurgeon in the first place?
1: Sure. Well, you know the answer to this uh, because you were involved in the answer. I was uh, a teenager, and my father took me to England on a Spurgeon pilgrimage. And so we committed to going to different places where Charles Spurgeon lived, where he preached, where he was baptized. And, uh, you know, you took this snotty-nosed teenage kid with you all, you know, all around England, and that did something to me. No longer could I just read Spurgeon. Now I could own a memory of Charles Spurgeon. That had a significant impact on my own life. And then
0: when you finished your work at Sanford and Beeson, you went to Scotland, to the University of St. Andrews, where you did a Ph.D. Tell us about your Spurgeon experience there, the person with whom you worked, and how you got into this as a research topic.
1: Well, I was thinking about doing the topic of pilgrimage. My father named me after John Bunyan's character, the uh, Christian, the Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, God sort of snapped his fingers um, during my first year in Scotland. Uh, he changed the trajectory of, of my life. And uh, I, I, was, uh, I was talking with Stephen Holmes, who was my supervisor at the time. And, uh, and I, I said, well, I could always just study Charles Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon. And, uh, and so over the next three years, I studied his uh, Christology and uh, played a lot of golf in St. Andrews as, <laughs> as well. Now, what does
0: that have to do with Spurgeon?
1: <laughs> well, I, maybe there is a connection. They called me the excavator because I was always in the, in the sand uh, digging my <laughs> way to, to ah. China. And uh, my last year there, I actually did some digging in London and, uh, and found these, uh, these 400 sermons of uh, Charles Spurgeon's early ministry.
0: So, your project is called the Lost Sermons of of C.H. Spurgeon. Tell us about these notebooks you found at Spurgeon's College in London. How that came about, and what they contain.
1: Yeah. So, my last year, my wife uh, Rebecca and I went down uh, to Spurgeon's College in London, and it was there that uh, I mean, they have a lot of stuff that still needs to be published. But one of this one of these artifacts was a stack of of notebooks. Uh, When I opened the notebook, I I realized that I recognized the the handwriting, uh, but I didn't exactly know what I was looking at until I did a little research and figured out that these were uh, the sermons that in 1857 Charles Haddon Spurgeon tried to publish himself uh, but failed to do so because there was a massive cholera outbreak. His life just got busy, And, uh, and so my initial impulse was to fulfill Spurgeon's wish. And uh, the road has not been easy. Uh, it has uh, led us through some very dark places. Uh, but God has been good, and, uh, and he has brought this, uh, this 160-year-old project to, to production.
0: When were these sermons originally preached by Spurgeon?
1: Yeah, so when Spurgeon was converted in uh, January of 1850, he's baptized, and within four months, he's already preaching 10 to 12 times a week. Uh, he's preaching itinerantly at first in the villages surrounding Cambridge. And he's just
0: a teenager, right? What, 15? What, how 15, old was he? He's 16 years old. 16. That's right. Yeah.
1: Hadn't hit puberty yet, but he's preaching the gospel. And, uh, and uh, so he's preaching itinerantly at first, and then during the first real year of his ministry, he accepts the pastorate of Waterbeach Chapel, which is still there today. And uh, he preaches for three years at Water Beach to a dying church in the middle of the country, before he goes to London and his ministry goes viral.
0: So these sermons that you've transcribed and now published were originally preached in the villages and at Water Beach around Cambridge, right? That's exactly right, yeah. Now, what was Spurgeon like as a preacher? What would it have been like if you had been there to hear him?
1: Well, I've often thought of that. You know, Spurgeon, uh, you know, he believed with all of his heart that only when Jesus Christ is at the center of your life can your life be ultimately centered. And to hear the young teenager preach zealously, with earnest, uh, maybe with a little bit of sarcasm uh, here and there, uh, would have been truly a a treasure, I think, uh, indeed. His first sermon, he was tricked into preaching it, actually. His mentor at St. Andrew Street Baptist Chapel told another kid that Charles would be preaching and you need to accompany him. And he told Charles that this other lad would be preaching. And so they both walked the three miles to Teversham Cottage, each thinking the other person was going to preach the gospel. And you can imagine just the panic on their eyes. They get to the chapel, you know, you know this was their first sermon. And Spurgeon uh, sort of spiritually manned up and said, well, surely I can tell a few poor cottagers of the love of, of Christ. And so his first sermon was extemporaneous. It was off the cuff. And uh, many of his sermons, most of his sermons afterwards still... Uh, reflect that flavor. Now, you know, I'm a
0: theological educator. I give my whole life into training people for the ministry and putting a lot of emphasis on deep, hard study, Greek, Hebrew, history, theology, all that stuff. Now, Spurgeon
1: never had that, did he? Well, not formally he didn't. Because he was a nonconformist, he wasn't allowed to go to Cambridge. Uh, It would be another two decades before they relaxed that law. But it would be incorrect, I think, uh, to say that Spurgeon was uh, uneducated. Mm. Uh, He had a photographic memory. Uh, He was reading, we're discovering, he was reading uh, large swaths of Shakespeare, committing it to memory. He once said he could hold eight thoughts in his mind in a single moment and choose one as from a shelf.
0: All I can do is two or one and a half.
1: (laughs) And so you're obviously working with the Leonardo da Vinci of preaching. This is no ordinary uh, teenager that God got a hold of. But he did use those abilities for the enhancement of the kingdom. So not formally educated, but certainly not unlearned. Certainly not.
0: And a great reader, a voracious reader, reading all the Puritan literature,
1: the Luther, Calvin, the medieval, some of them. Absolutely. At the Spurgeon Library, we have almost 5,200 of his personally owned books. Many of them are heavily um, annotated with all kinds of marginalia. And uh, it's interesting to see what he actually was reading. His theology was shaped in large part by people like John Bunyan and Richard Baxter and John Owen and, and, uh, Roger, I see you there, some of the Scottish divines. Uh, This had a way of tenderizing him to the power of the gospel. And so he was reading some of the greatest divines England had produced. It's no wonder his early sermons uh, are so great.
0: Say a little bit about Spurgeon as a family man. He had a wife, Susanna, two, two sons, right?
1: Yeah, after he goes to London, he uh, he meets this girl uh, named Susie. She was, she was a city girl, and Charles was from the country. Uh, he would often preach with a polka-dotted handkerchief and wave it in the air. Susie, that was the first thing Susie took away when they got married, <laughs> that polka-dotted handkerchief. Uh, she hated his hair. She hated his accent. Uh, she said his dialect was more of a deformity than it was a, an accent. And so they were married Uh, But like any marriage, they didn't have uh, a smooth road. Uh, Susanna got very sick. She had a surgery that was botched. Uh, She had two sons, Charles and Thomas, before she was rendered infertile for the rest of her life. Uh, She spent 15 years in bed, and Charles took care of her. People always ask me, what kind of uh, man was he? Did he sacrifice his family on the altar of ministry? Uh, And I don't think he did. You know, he included his family in the ministry. Both Charles and Thomas both became preachers in their own in their own right. Uh, and and I, I think that says something about not just uh, his ministry and the way he had, it unfolded at the tabernacle, but also his character.
0: One of the interesting things uh, about this project that you've told me about is that you've been able to reconnect with some
1: of the living descendants of Spurgeon. That's right. Uh, You know, people ask me, what's the greatest thing you've discovered? Uh, Some of my students call me Indiana George, you know, always (laughs) hunting some relic. You know, we're thinking about taking one of Spurgeon's bones. Don't tell anyone that. Uh, It's on the podcast. They'll all hear. (laughs) Well, I tell people that uh, the greatest thing I've discovered is not a thing itself. It's a person. And so last year, uh, I I came to know Spurgeon's living descendants through Thomas' side of the family uh, in Dublin, Ireland. And, uh, you know, as providence would have it, um, I was I was with David Spurgeon, the great, great grandson of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, the actual uh, day he passed away in Dublin, I was there just one day, and uh, I went to hospice to, to see him, and he was slipping away. Uh, but one of the last things I did was to read sermons by his ancestor on the hope of resurrection and glory to him. I, I think it ministered to him as much as it ministered. Uh, to me to be there. Now
0: you've talked a little bit about Susanna's illnesses and Charles also had a number of serious life uh, chronic diseases, right? Tell he us did. about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so Charles Spurgeon once said God gets his best men out of the highlands of affliction and, uh, and he himself was one such highlander. Uh, he struggled internally and he struggled externally. Uh, A psychiatrist in London was interviewed and he was presented with all of Spurgeon's symptoms and he said, this man, if he were alive today, would be treated as uh, having bipolarity. You know, his depression is not just endogenous, it's exogenous, it's exterior. Uh, He would often weep without knowing why. And of course, there were external circumstances, the Surrey Garden Music Hall collapse uh, that uh, I think dented him. Uh, But in another way, I think that was the secret sauce of his preaching, that here is a man uh, who knows what it's like to appeal to the common suffering of the Victorian person. I think without that key ingredient, Spurgeon might not have gotten very far.
0: Now, Christian, I want to ask you a personal question. It may be a difficult question, but... As you were really developing this research interest in Spurgeon and digging into this material, you yourself were quite afflicted, weren't you? And how did your own affliction
1: relate to what you were
0: studying about with Spurgeon?
1: Okay. Um, so I, I know I've shared my testimony in several places, but for 12 long years, I, I struggled with something called ulcerative colitis. Uh, it's a bleeding disorder of, of, the, of the colon and uh, you know what, I bled here on this campus for four years of college and three years of master's level work. Uh, bled in St. Andrews for three years. Bled in Oklahoma for three years. I would teach a class and then I would go to the bathroom and just cry with Jesus uh, until the next class started bleeding. Uh, I identified with that woman, you know, in Luke 8. Uh, she, w- she bled for 12 years. And uh, in two thousand and Rebecca, sweetie, you have to help me with the date. 2013, my appendix ruptured, and I almost passed away. We didn't find out for about a month that it had ruptured. And uh, the the surgeon said it was a miracle that I was still alive. Uh, But by the grace of God, Luke chapter 8, I extended my hand and grabbed the healing garment of God. They took my colon out. They gave me a temporary ileostomy for a year. Then they sewed me back up and sent me on my way. I'm 150% today. Uh, And yet... During that time, I was reading Charles Spurgeon's early sermons, and there was one sermon in particular. If you open your book, sermon number fourteen, uh, God's grace given to us, and there's this one line in that in that sermon that has haunted me ever since I read it. I don't think I'll ever forget it. It said, "Think much on grace, Christian. Think much on grace." And in the darkest places, I have thought a lot about grace. And God's grace is enough, Dr. Smith. God's grace is sufficient for our suffering. And It's a wonderful testimony, and
0: I know it's been a great deal in your life to study Spurgeon while you were actually experiencing God's grace in this this kind of way. Now, uh, this is an amazing project, 12 volumes in all, right? Unless Jesus comes back to rescue us. Okay. (laughs) Well, keep that in mind. Uh, published by B&H Academic. Uh, it's really an amazing publishing event, really. And so uh, Mr. Jim Baird from B&H Academic, the publisher, is here today with us and presenting this volume to you. So tell us a little bit about your own work now at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where you're not only a professor but also the curator of the Spurgeon Library.
1: Yeah, well, I do teach church history. Uh, I've been asked to do that, and uh, I enjoy that quite a lot. Um, You know, sometimes I mention in chapel, you have to go back to the future, and it's so exciting to watch students' eyes light up when you uh, unfold the life and ministry of people like William Carey and Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon. Uh, So that's part of what I do at Midwestern, but I'm also the curator of Spurgeon's personal library. Uh, We give tours to churches, uh, but we're also a research institution. Uh, we have traveling scholars visit us from the UK quite often, uh, and we're learning about Spurgeon. We, I have a team of, uh, of about 15 people, and every day, you know, someone comes to me and says, do you know how much Spurgeon was worth over the course of his life, uh, but he died poor? I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, we're also in the process of scanning all of Spurgeon's works on a website called spurgeon.org. Uh, b- Jim at b was kind enough to give us a very expensive scanner. And so for the first time in history, all of Spurgeon's 63 volumes of sermons, uh, his, his biographies, his 140 books, uh, all of it, most of our library will be scanned for free uh, at Spurgeon.org for pastors uh, to use in their sermons. And I, I hope it will be a, uh, a benefit to the church. Do you have a website people could go to to find out about the Spurgeon Library? Yeah, Charles, I uh, us see,
0: Spurgeon.org, www.spurgeon.org. Spurgeon.org. Yeah. So check it out and see what's available from the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We've just had presented today here at Beeson the first of these 12 volumes. Now, when can we expect volume 2 and 3? What's the plan? Jim wins 2 due
1: published this summer, is it? September.
0: In September. I believe 2, two of every 2017, year. so we can expect several volumes a year to come out till the series is complete. Now, let me ask, ask, uh, let me ask you a final question you probably have never heard of or thought of before. What are you going to do after Spurgeon? He's dumbfounded.
1: I'm going to go to Glory and see him. Oh.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Christian. That was a good answer. <laughs> and it's a pleasure to have you here at Beeson Divinity School and to celebrate with you the publication of The Lost Sermons of C.H. Spurgeon. Thank, Thank you. you so much.